I will do my best to not cough too much in your ear over the microphone. <clears throat> you can turn in your Bibles. Actually, our, our text this morning is from Titus, the second chapter. Um, we're also going to be in Psalms 144, quickly in Ecclesiastes, and a couple other places as well. But our text is found in Titus chapter 2. So anyone ever, anyone ever, uh, maybe it's not when you wake up in the morning, sometimes it might be, that tends to be when I feel it, you ever get up and say, man, I feel old today, it happens, you know, for me it's, I, I get out of bed in the morning and, and my back just aches and that, you know, those sore muscles and a couple of weeks ago when I, I got the flu, that, that just exacerbated it, man, I, sometimes I felt like I couldn't bend over at all. But uh, there are times I just you just you just feel old, and that that uh, that's just a fact of life, isn't it? We we go one direction, you know. <laughs> older. I don't want to say downhill. <laughs> we go one direction. We get older. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh, actually, just a couple weeks here, we'll be marking the first anniversary of my dad's home going to heaven, and. You know, that was one of those things that losing my dad um, kind of made me reflect on that. And I'll be honest, you know, there was, there was a time when I would have thought, 79, that's a good long life. You know, and you remember thinking that as a, mostly as a kid. And uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, I think about it, I think particularly with my, my grandparents on my mom's side, you know, they, my, both my grandparents on that side, my mom's mom and dad, both passed away fairly young in their 70s. And I remember as a kid, I thought they were old. You know, I thought they'd already lived a, long, a good long life. And now I think, boy, 79's too quick. You know, I wasn't ready for my dad to not be there to, to laugh with and sometimes at and, and uh, to ask questions of and, and uh, just to hear his voice. And, and uh, you know, the, those things remind us of our mortality. And Psalms chapter 144 uh, says in verse 3 and 4, it says, O Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. You know, and, and sometimes we begin to contemplate it, and it can be, it can, it can be scary to think of, of our mortality and how quickly time passes. You know, our, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's all, you know, you've heard that saying, it's all relative. But the reality is, is that's really what it is. And, you know, I can remember when I was in first grade and even, you know, even into, particularly into middle school, when I, that last day of school, when the, the vast expanse of summer awaited you you know you just couldn't wait because summer was so long and, and and a few months seemed like a lifetime and now man a few months seems like a minute feels like feels like a minute so we find ourselves we all that's just part of the human condition we we all find ourselves that way and the reality is that even even with the miracles of modern science and i know that um, that's that's a great industry to be in, the anti-aging industry, the creams and lotions and all of those things that that we buy to try to stave off the effects of of of, of aging. And even if modern science were to discover some incredible secret of you know fending off aging, according to the scripture, 
In Ecclesiastes, it says what? That there's a time and a season for everything. It says for everything there's a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. According to the scripture, it's appointed to each one of us. We, there's, there are two appointments in life that we all have to keep, and that's our appointment to be born and our appointment to die, unless the rapture comes. Then we get to skip out on that last appointment and skip over and go straight to eternity. <laughs> That's just the way it is. And I don't, I don't begin like that to try to, to bring you down, but <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> it's just something that we all face over time. We, we get older. So this morning I want to talk about, you know, the fact is we, we, we all face getting older. We might as well do it, do it as well as we can, right? It's one of those things. It's like, well, I got to do this. I might as well do it right. And uh, so for those of you that are younger thinking, well, I've got a long time here to think about this, Pastor. Don't turn your ears off on me because really what we're talking about is a recipe in Titus for living well. And I, ta- I titled it Aging Well, but really it's a... It's, it's a recipe for living well. So let's, let's look at our, take a quick look at our text because this morning, even though what I'm kind of talking about is finishing the race, I framed it in that perspective of finishing the race well. The reality is, is how we finish the race, a lot of it depends on how we start. And running the, the, the beginning and the middle of the race really affects how you're set up to end it. How many of you watched the Olympics these past couple weeks? I miss them. It happens every time that the Olympics comes around. I get I get hooked on the Olympics, and then they then they're gone, you know, and I miss them. But I can remember there was speed skating. I like to watch speed skating. It's one of the things I really enjoy, particularly the short track. It's a little it's a little stressful. The short track races are, but but they're fun to watch. And some of those races, you wouldn't think of skating, speed skating as being a strategic thing, but they, they skate those races in a very specific manner to make sure they, they skate the beginning and the middle of the race in a specific way so that when the end of the race comes, they're where they want to be, whether it be in position on the, you know, whether, where they're at in the, in the group of people or simply the, what, sort of energy is left in their legs and so how they how they start the race and how they finish the race are two to are are inextricably linked you can't separate them and so this morning as i frame it in in the whole thing of finishing strong or aging well let's remember that really we can we need to apply all of these same principles to our entire life the way we run the race so read with me this morning from Titus, the second chapter, beginning (coughs) right in the first verse. But as for you, and this is, give you a little bit of backstory real quick. I'll get there. Give you a little bit of backstory. Paul's writing to Titus, and uh, Titus is one of Paul's converts. Paul, uh, Titus was not of Jewish origin. He was, the New Testament refers to him as Greek, but that could mean a lot of different things. Just meant he wasn't Jewish. That tends to be oftentimes how they would refer to someone who wasn't Jewish. They'd say he was Greek. 
So he could have been from, and most people think he was from the area of Antioch and a lot of Paul's evangelistic efforts uh, actually kind of began there and uh, centered around in Antioch. And they figured that that's where Titus got saved under Paul's ministry. And then Paul took him in. And this, this epistle was written to him, they believe, when he was setting up the church he was kind of the first bishop or pastor of the church in Crete. And um, there's, there's a lot to that, but we're not going to get into that right now. Figure out when did Paul go to Crete? Was it when he, was, he stopped there briefly on his way to Rome when he was going to see Caesar to get his audience with Caesar? Well, he wouldn't have been there very long, or was there another trip later on? Either way, at some point in time, Paul hands... Uh, Titus the responsibility of taking care of the fledgling church there in Crete and he writes him this writes this epistle as part of his instructions to Titus says but as for you teach what accords with sound doctrine older men are to be sober-minded dignified self-controlled sound in faith in love and in steadfastness Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned." so that an opponent may be put to shame, have nothing evil to say about us. I like the way Paul says us. Not just you, to say about you, but us. He's talking about believers, Christians in general. <clears throat> Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. So Paul writes to Titus, and he gives him kind of a, a framework of how to teach the people in, in Crete, those, the Christian church, to live. And he really gives you a, a, just a really pretty complete recipe for a life that is lived well. You probably have heard that set of some of, of someone at some point in time he lived his he lived his or her life well and what but what does that really mean typically when we say that of someone we're talking about someone who is really kind or benevolent or or generous or charitable and so they say well, they lived life well or maybe sometimes it's someone who lived an adventuresome life one of my friends from high school his, his life he, he lived an adventuresome life you know, and sometimes some people look at that with, with uh, um, envy. They say, that, boy, that was a life that was lived well. He lived it to the fullest. You know, he experienced all of these things. 
But really, Paul gives Titus a framework or a recipe for a life that's lived well. So and I picked out, and believe me, I, in this passage of Scripture, there is so much packed in there, I think we probably could have done one of those everlasting series. You know, just out of this passage of how to live the Christian life. But this morning, I want to hit five high points. <clears throat> and so if I take 15 minutes per, it gets us in about an hour. Probably won't. So we probably better not go 15 minutes. I don't want Brandon to say to me, Dad, that was a lot of words, like he said to his grandpa a few years ago. <laughs> Number one, first secret of living well or aging well, we need to think well. It starts here. A lot of the way you live starts here. And he says that you are to teach the older men that they should be sober-minded. Now, what is that? What do you think he means by sober-minded? Most of the time, when we think sober-minded, we immediately think serious. Don't crack a smile. You know, just serious, all business. That's what we think of sober-minded. Really, what he's getting at here is someone who lives with a clarity of thought. It's clarity of thought. What brings true clarity of thought? You know what it will help you to begin to gain, have a mind that is settled and clear? Have you ever found yourself unable to sleep because your mind simply won't turn off? Peaceful is not a word that describes your feeling at that point, is it? And, and I think that that's really what Paul is getting at here. Teach them to be sober-minded. Teach them to be clear of thought. And that often begins with an organization of priority. What is important to me? Because I'm a geek, I tend to think a lot of, a, a lot of times, I tend to think in terms of computer t terminology. That's what I deal with all day long. And think of this. Your mind is a lot like the CPU in a computer. It's what does all the calculations and all of the, kind of crunches the numbers. And your mind crunches life's numbers, doesn't it? Every day, you make thousands of decisions. Just thousands of thoughts run through your head. But here's the thing. Most of our minds have a limited capacity, don't they? And so, and it's, you know, it's gotten infinitely better through the years, but back when I've the, my first experience with, experience with programming was back in the days, anyone remember the Commodore VIC-20s and pet computers? And that, that's where I started in high school to learn on, was pro programming those things. And we discovered really quickly that you had limited resources. And so you had to be really picky about how you spent those resources. And we need to think about, in terms of the way we think and the way we allow our minds to be, what's consuming the CPU of my mind? So that having that clarity of thought or sober-mindedness really comes down to organizing priorities. These are the things that I'm going to spend the CPU of my mind on, those CPU cycles on. What things really matter? Have you ever found yourself just in a tizzy over something that turns out to be completely unimportant. I'm not the only one that's done that. 
You know what it is. You spend hours and hours and hours worrying about something. Maybe it was something you said to someone, and all of a sudden you think that you, they, it was taken the wrong way, and you offended them horribly, and you just spend hours and hours worrying about that. You lose sleep, and then you run into them, and all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, that didn't happen at all. You can't get that back. And Paul says, be sober-minded, be clear, be, be clear of thought. 1 Corinthians in chapter 14, verse 33, Paul, in instructing the Corinthian church in their worship, he says this, he says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And I think sometimes how often we, our inability to lay something in God's hands, we waste the CPU cycles of our mind for something that God never intended us for, to worry about. So when Paul is supposed to, or Titus is supposed to instruct the old one, be sober minded, he said, teach them to think and be concerned about what really matters. And that begins with an organization or prioritization. I mean, think about it. Does it should we really spend so much of our, our thoughts worrying about what people think of us? Or worrying about tomorrow? You know, scripture is pretty clear. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Take care of today. That doesn't mean you don't think about preparing yourself for retirement. I'm not saying that, all those things. But you're saying, prioritize your thought. Think, spend time thinking about what's truly important. That's the first step of sinking. And, and sometimes we actually also, when we think of sober-minded, we think we just... I think this might be one of the original misinterpretation of Scripture that led everybody to believe that Christians were all sour-faced, that we can't have any fun. Because we say, oh no, Paul said to Titus, we have to be sober-minded. So if you smile very much, you obviously are not a Christian. Well, then they forgot to read all the Scriptures about joy, happiness. The Greek word is circumspect. Yes, That, that is a big, that's a big part of it. It's things, it's just, we need to make sure that we're thinking about what really matters. So we need to think well. We need to think well. And the other thing is this, is that the way you think has a lot to do with your character. Has a lot to do with your character. Character matters. Char how you live will be affected by your character. And character is an internal quality, not an external one. It has external ramifications. It often has external symptoms. <laughs> but character is an internal quality, and character is very much related to the way that we think. So we, number one, we need to think well. Number two, we need to act well. I don't know if you noticed as we read through those few verses there in Titus, what is there? Uh, we read 15 verses. There was one thing that was repeated four times. What was it? Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. We need to act well. So we need to think. We need to learn how to think well. We need to learn how to act well. And it begins with being self-controlled. And what that simply means is this, is that you need to subjugate your flesh. Well, what does subjugating your flesh mean? It means setting aside your own desires. We know this is not a normal human characteristic. We are driven by our own desires. Paul said, be self-controlled. 
Make sure that your own desires don't drive you and take you places where you do not want to be. And then over and over, he actually also talks, as he talks about behavior, he says, so that no one can revile your witness, so that you don't reflect badly on Jesus himself. We need to behave in a way that's befitting a child of God. That means we, that we live with integrity. This past couple of weeks, two weeks ago, we lost Billy Graham. I say we lost him. He was here. God let us have him for a good long time. We decided it was time to take him home to heaven to his eternal reward. One of the things that in this world... Very few people, very few men live in such a way that no one can find fault with them. But frankly, there's very few people that have any ability to find fault with Billy Graham. Why is that? Billy Graham lived a life of integrity. That was the bottom line. When I was going to Bible college, um, Billy Graham had their headquarters was somewhere near Minneapolis. And so there was a number of students at the Bible college that actually worked there. And I was talking with one of them one day, a guy that worked, worked there, and I just I asked him, so do you get a chance, have you had a chance to meet Billy Graham? And he says, oh, yeah, we've met him a number of times. And I said, what, what struck you the most about him? And he said, he's true. That's what he said, he's true. He said, there, he is a man of integrity. He lives every, his life is lived with integrity. So we need to think well, we need to act well, and a lot of that is based upon living with integrity. Paul also instructs us and says to, to, to instruct to not be argumentative. And he also addresses people who are in less than desirable situations. Sometimes we think, well, that really doesn't apply to me because I'm in a really tough spot. And so I have a license to, to not act well. Paul said, for those of you who even are bond servants, not in the greatest of situations, someone who was a bond servant that Titus would have been addressing was someone who probably had a really unfortunate happening in their life and found them in a place to where their only option was literally to sell themselves. They had to sell themselves into a form of slavery to be able to pay their debts. Now, maybe some people got themselves there of their own bad, choose, bad choices, but, but not everyone would be that way. There were many people that just the circumstances of life were such that their only choice was to sell themselves into slavery. And Paul's instruction through Titus is to, to, to teach them is live. Listen to what he says. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God and our, God our Savior. So, folks, we need to live in such a way that we actually become a decoration on our Savior and not a blemish. Not a blemish. You know, I've, I've, frankly, I've known both people who have been both. You know, sometimes that's, it's difficult to, you know, that's been one of my pet peeves because I try when I get an opportunity to share, to witness in my place of work, in my place of employment. 
And yet there are other people that I've, what I've also witnessed, I watch their, I, they, they, they speak a lot about being Christian and knowing Jesus. And then they turn around and they, they do things. They lie to people. They cheat. They're lazy. They don't do their jobs. And it's difficult. It kind of bothers me because it seems like that's a blemish. And I, it, hopefully it pushes you and I to make sure that we don't live that way, that we act, that we are a decoration on, on our, of, of, of Jesus rather than a blemish on his, our witness, his witness. Rather, this is we need to remember that the way you and I act is a large part of our witness. Other people form their opinions of God based upon what we do, what they observe in our lives. So we need to be careful. We need to act well. Third, we need to be faithful. And I separate that into two words. Paul mentions this in his text. He says that older men are to be sound in faith. He tells the, tells the, instructs the bondservants to, to show all good faith. What does he mean by that sound in faith? One of, the, one of the connotations of the word that's used there is to be whole or healthy. Be healthy in your faith. Be whole in your faith. What does that mean? Well, we all know that faith begins with belief and then continues on because the reality is this, is that many people have beliefs that have no effect on their life. There is belief to the, to the extent of mental assent. In other words, yeah, you'll nod your head to that. I nod my head to that, but my belief of that does not change my life. See, true faith, in order to have a whole faith or a healthy faith, faith, there has to be trust. It has to imply trust. True faith implies trust or reliance or dependence upon. Think of it in this way. I heard one person describe it this way. I believe that that 737 at the airport can take me to Florida. I believe that airplane can fly to Florida. But I don't have faith in it until I get in and ride it to Florida. See, I can believe that, it, I can believe that that airplane can get there safely, but if I don't have faith in it, I won't get in and trust my life to it. Those are two completely different, not completely different things. They're related, but one begins and the other carries on. We know that we're saved by faith when we put trust in Jesus for forgiveness of our sins. In other words, that means we surrender to God and trust the sacrifice Jesus made will bring us salvation. And that's where so many people go wrong. They begin, they somehow, we, we get the feeling that, okay, first I have to, I have to memorize the entire Bible and um, I can't miss any church services. I can't, I, you know, I, every, and so that anytime they make a mistake, it literally is devastating to them because they, they're putting their trust in their works to get them into heaven. And it's no wonder so many people give up. Just have what, what's the use? See, the difference is that be, we believe that Jesus' sacrifice will, will gain, bring us forgiveness of our sin and we trust in him. 
in order to age well, we need to make sure that our lives demonstrate faith in God. And, and that means that we live lives that demonstrate actual trust in God. That one can be a tough one to wrestle with sometimes, huh? How, do I, how does my life demonstrate that I trust God? And that, I think that, that, that takes a different, it looks different in everyone's lives. The way it looks, the way it, it is demonstrated, it shows in mine is different from the way it demonstrated, is demonstrated in yours. Based upon where God has you. But in order to live well, to be faithful, to be whole in faith, our lives need to demonstrate a trust and a dependence upon God. That's something that my dad's life challenged me with all my years. Because I believe that that was something that my dad excelled at, was trusting. My dad was a man of faith. He wasn't perfect, but he was a man of faith. Fourth, we need to, lo- to love well. So we need to, to think well. We need to act well. We need to be faithful, be whole, have a whole faith and a healthy faith. And fourth, we need to love well. We need to love well. Love that is loved, that is, a, that is, I don't know how to say it, proper love or real love, is a love that's benevolent. And what does it mean to have a benevolent love? It simply means you're not out for your own gain. Benevolence is when you are trying to do something for someone else and you're setting aside your own needs. It's kind of what nonprofit should really be all about, right? For someone else's benefit. And we know from the, from the news that you slap nonprofit on something doesn't really mean it's not for profit. It may just be, mean that it's not for profit of the organization, but it's for profiting the people who are in the organization. But a love that is, that is appropriate and true love is a love that is benevolent. It means it's not out for my own gain. A love that is true love will be kind. There's a popular country song out right now that says, Always be helpful and kind. The scripture says that a kind answer turns away wrath. Romans chapter 12 verses 17 and 18 says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Say, what does that got to do with love? That's how we demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus loved us. God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that no one would perish and we all would have eternal life. And Jesus so loved us that he was willing to allow himself to be sacrificed. When you read through the scripture, there's so many times when someone will be brought to Jesus and the, the people who are bringing that person were trying to set him up because according to maybe the old covenant, they needed to be judged, stoned, whatever. Punishment needed to be meted out and Jesus instead met them with kindness. 
And Paul in Romans says, repay no one evil for evil. That's not a normal human characteristic. And you, you watch. You, you, you know where you can teach yourself a lot about human nature? The kindergarten room. Repaying no one evil for evil is not something you witness a lot in the kindergarten room. Someone gets bumped, they turn around and slug them back. Why? Because I'm sure that kid didn't bump me accidentally. He meant to do it. I'll teach him. But true love is kind. It's based in kindness. It responds in kindness. That scripture says, if possible, so far as it depends on you. That means you do everything you possibly can to live at peace with everyone else. A true love is affectionate. John chapter 13 verse 35 says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now I think that the implication there is, means that it's, is that it's something that can be seen. Affection that is expressed to someone else is something that can be seen. Have you ever had someone that you just were absolutely sure didn't like you? You find out later they really liked you. And you say, well, they certainly didn't act that way. See, true love, I believe true love will bring affection. And affection is something that is seen. So true love is an affectionate love. It's something we can be see, that can be seen or witnessed. And, and that's really what, it's supposed to be one of the things that draws other people into Christianity. Is the way we love each other. But unfortunately, there's, a, there's many times when that's not what people see when they look at the church of Jesus Christ. They see quick to judge and to punish I don't know how you remember the, remember the Handy family that came and ministered here years ago. And when they, before they were the Handy family, they traveled, there was a group of college-age folks that traveled around. They called themselves the Whitestone Players. They were a drama group. And one of my favorite skits they did are, is only Christians shoot their wounded. I don't remember. Did they do that? They might have done that when they were here. The family did. It's a Bible study, and they all, they're all getting together for a Bible study. And as they express their prayer requests and prayer needs, one of the members of the Bible study kind of breaks down and shares how they, oh, I just blew it, I blew it, I, I messed up. And, and the leader of the Bible study looked around and says to everybody else, you know what we have to do, right? And they all pull out cap guns and shoot them. Only Christians shoot their wounded. That's not an affectionate love. That's not a love that is kind. It's not a love that's benevolent. So we need to love well. We need to, to love with a true love, one that's benevolent and kind and affectionate. And finally, the last thing I want to share this morning is in order to live well and to age well, we need to learn how to persevere well. The reality is this, is that people need to see someone who makes it. They need to see someone who makes it, who's faithful to the end, who's challenged but endures and perseveres and pushes through. 
There are plenty of examples of people who fall by the wayside and give in to their own temptations and, and give up and, and give in to despair. But the people need to see someone who makes it. And that means that, that we need to strive to live with a cheerful patience. And I say cheerful patience. You know, the scripture says what? God loves a cheerful giver. The world needs to see people who are cheerfully patient. Now, I know plenty of people who are not cheerfully patient. They're irritably patient. It's very obviously they're not happy with you. They need to see someone who lives in cheerful patience. They also need some to see those who live lives of consistency. See, we, we claim in Christianity that our God is the same yesterday and today, and forever, tomorrow, forever. That's consistency. And yet, we often waffle all over the place. Folks, that's a big part of persevering, is learning to live a consistent life. And that means making sure that our words match our actions, and all of those sorts of things. We need to persevere. <clears throat> we're all faced with aging. The reality is that, like Scripture says, we're all, all going to have that appointment. That second appointment's going to come unless the rapture comes first. Should God tarry, let's put it that way, should God choose to tarry, we all have that appointment. Just a couple of weeks ago, my cousin Rex went to California on a business trip, flew out on Monday Tuesday night, he was gone. Suffered a heart attack and died thousands of miles from his family. 58 years old. That sounds like a vapor. That sounds like a life that's a breath, right? We all face that. Folks, we need to focus on living well. I want to live well. I, I may not have, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to, to irritate my children well into my 90s. You know, but I don't, I don't have that guarantee. None of us knows what tomorrow brings. You know, we're constantly reminded of that in many ways. Just a couple of weeks, two weeks ago, while I was sick, actually, our company again disclosed that we're going to be downsizing again, and 111 people in our North Carolina facility are going to be out of a job in the next year. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We need to focus on living well where we are and finishing this race well because there's so much that can be accomplished when we live well. 